I mean, a lot of people like really get into their like personal life and like like emotions. <laughs> and that's not really me, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I'm like I'm I get into my mental illness and stuff like that. I get into like you know being on all these you know medications and all that good stuff. Uh, but you know, I'm not like I mean there's some pretty bad like not bad. There's some pretty wild things that have. Yeah, I mean it is bad. There's my mom died and I had to move back to Omaha yeah. and so I mean like. Yeah, some bad things that happen. I don't talk about it because I mean I can't imagine like at least the way that I do comedy. I can't imagine making that fun. Uh, I mean I know other people could. I've I've seen it. I've seen people do like you know really traumatic stuff and make it very funny. But I can't. You know like my last joke I wrote was about the NFL draft. Like that's just not how my brain works. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. I'm Dave Marr. I'm a comedian who lives in Chicago. Nine years ago, I was in a coma for a month, and I woke up with questions. This week, my guest is Zach Peterson, a comedian who I met in Chicago when he lived here. And he's from Omaha, and he now lives back in Omaha. He's got a new special coming out called A List of Wet Celebrities. The full special with video is coming out this Thursday, January 25th. The audio for the special is already out. So you can buy that and own it. If you download it, you can stream it wherever. If you want to watch the special on Thursday, there is already a link for it on 4x3 Productions' YouTube channel, and you can find that in the show notes. So you have it right when it comes out. You can also use the show notes to follow Zach where he wants to be followed, meaning his social media platforms, and find his tour dates. Like Zach, I am an independent comedian, and I produce This Is Your Afterlife without ads or corporations. So if you believe in this show, I would love for you to become a patron. You pay me 5 or $15 a month to continue making the show which you can do at patreon.com slash Dave Marr. And when you do, you immediately get access to an extended version of this conversation where I talk to Zach about independent comedy type things and about both of our approaches to comedy and how it differs. Before we get into it, I want to thank Pigeon patrons G, Barry Fontenot, Shuba Singh, Debo, Fred Fidawa, and Katie Llewellyn. And now, enjoy the episode. This is me and Zach Peterson. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat it like... A thing's occurring to me, because I have gone the route of let's mine the emotions and the, and the, mm-hmm. tra- the tragedies for m- material of various sorts. And there's, that's an easy way to think of leveling up. It's a very like right. visible challenge. It's like, okay, you've made your bird cloaca jokes or whatever. Sure, sure. Now's the time to like, you know, can you can you do this? So how do you think of with like or do you even think of it this way in terms of like what the trajectory is, what new challenge you're you're pointing yourself at or is it just joke by joke? I, what I need to do is just write this joke the best that I can. Right. Uh, 
like, have you read that Rick Rubin book? The no, creative act. I, I'm familiar with it, but I haven't right. read it. I, I think it's pretty like pervasive now. A lot yeah, of in the yeah, creative yeah, yeah, yeah. arenas. Um, the Rick Rubin backlash but, has started. Really? Yeah. A lot of people just being like, what does this guy do? You know? And it's oh. very, it's like, I yeah. get it, but I'm also like, well, I like both sides. Yeah. But go ahead. Sorry. Right. Well, like reading it, there's like, there's a, a chapter or two that, you know, it essentially, I think it, things resonate when you already believe something that someone else puts it in their words. And I think this is sort of what happened with that, where he's essentially like, you know, don't worry about where you're going. You'll wind up there and just sort of harness what what you enjoy and what makes you happy and what makes you excited. And so if you follow that excitement, you will get to where you need to be. Um, the thing, the thing about stand-up, uh, my personal stand-up, I see my personal stand-up as like, fun is ha- having an escape as you know yeah. fucking off for a while uh you know because like my the majority of my real life like my my real like emotional life i don't find that a lot of fun you know i don't find i you know like i i'm a man i'm a i'm a major depressive with ocd adhd and panic right, disorders right, anxiety right. disorders and so like you know like focusing on how i feel is the opposite of a good time, you know? So like, I, I like to, the thing that I really value about the standup that I can create. Uh, and I mean, this is why I named my record a list of West celebrities is the things that I sort of find obtuse and strange and I can bring them to a room full of people that I have zero in common with, and they can also find it, uh, fun. Uh, and you know, I think that's one of the cool things about stand up, you know, I, I mean, cause stand up can be whatever the person decides it's going to be. It can be important. Yeah. It can be, uh, you know, it can be profound. It can be all these things. It can also be a good ass time. And that's all I'm trying to do. Uh, because, you know, we're all like sort of connecting all these consciousness in one room to like agree on one thing, which is so difficult to do. And mine happens to be, let's get as stupid as possible and just have as good, a good time. And, and if I ever stumble upon something that someone may find important or some, someone may find, uh, you know, like profound in whatever way, that's cool, but that's not on purpose. <laughs> but are you thinking of with, so with like, a new special, right? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking from a craft perspective right. of like, I'm really trying to master this element or this is a weakness that I have that I want, like, y- you know, certain weaknesses, it's like, who cares? I'm not trying to become a better prop comedian, maybe, right. you know, but like there right. might be like, oh, there's this thing I always do that I'm trying to lose or a thing that I could always add that I'm trying to like, be better at you know any any number sure. of like skills are there specific things that you do you think about it like that i i, I don't i think i yeah. i come at it more of like a a way of uh like devo or neil young or frank zappa where i'm just gonna do something i see is different and i'm gonna try to chase these ideas and see if they can come to fruition in any way like and i think of neil young uh, because of especially his stuff um, in the 90s uh, where he just sort of 
went wild and did all these like strange mm-hmm. albums about you know pink cadillac which is rockabilly uh his trans album which was all computer like techno mm-hmm. not techno mm-hmm. but like you know uh electro rock before that was actually a thing uh he, he when after he released harvest he said um you know the harvest put me in the middle of the road and now i'm going to aim for the ditch yeah and his yeah, yeah, yeah. his next three so i sort of want to like when i when i view how I'm doing these things. I want to do the things that I, that speak more to who I am and my sense of humor. And, uh, you know, and I, I like to think of my perspective and purview as being more so in the ditch and then take that and have it be accepted by every single person I can. Well, I was going to say the ditch is hard to market, dude. Right, exactly. But I, but I mean, th- but that's my challenge, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, think of how Butthole Surfers had a like a top ten hit mm-hmm. in the '90s, mm-hmm. or uh, I mean, there's there's always those those things of those uh, real like left of center bands and artists that sort of get into the the culture just by doing what they've always done, and I sort of, I mean, like. I, I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm right. not going to be on Comedy Central anytime soon unless something remarkable happens. So I'm, I, I focus on being the best comedian I can be. And, and, and what is uh, valuable to me is just making things that I find fun and dumb and exciting. And, and that is oftentimes, uh, I, I feel at odds with the, the zeitgeist of uh, like comedy in general currently. Right. Right. So I like, if I just continue to make things that are for me and other people like them, that I am excited and I am happy. But you're trying to make a living too, dude. Yeah. But I also sell DVDs on eBay. So, <laughs> you know, like I'm fine. You've got like a two merch tables, like one for the, for, for I the wish, comedy dude. stuff. That'd be so fun. Paint your hell. A, a custom hell designed to torture you. Yeah, it would be uncomfortable. I mean, I'm a big comfort guy. I I love, you know, nice pair of athle- athleisure wear. <laughs> okay. Uh, dog hair everywhere. Like, I'm not a, like, I don't dislike pets. I just really can't stand uh, dog hair, like being hairy in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone would be mad at me, <laughs> you know, like what they're just type of mad a specific for a specific type of thing. Um, well, they won't tell me that's the thing. Mm. Like I know everyone's angry at me, but they won't tell me we can't talk about it. And that's really upsetting. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not going like pain here. I'm not going like physical or, uh, like physical pain. Cause I mean, that's just, I mean, oh, oh, all oh, my fingernails are like, down too low so it's like everything's just a little bit you know like it's cut too much you have hangnails and everything Mm -hmm. you got toothache oh dude like a bad toothache that's the worst in the world um i'm all stuffed up that'd be terrible too and i'm imagining you in like a tuxedo covered in dog hair with all this oh yeah yeah with the pants a little bit too tight Mm -hmm. and so like yeah so it's like digging india so i'm not comfortable um Everything's really loud. I love I love quiet. You know, I, I love like sort of the calm. Uh, so like, oh, and there's a lot of people around. 
and they're all mad at me. <laughs> and like, and I, I can't go anywhere. Like I'm at, like at a party where I don't know anyone and they're all mad at me and I don't know why. And I'm extremely uncomfortable both physically and emotionally. Yeah. Parties come up so much in this question. Right. A party where you don't know anyone is like 80% of the world's idea of hell. Oh, it's terrible. And it's, 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 I think there's something about the expectation too, because mm -hmm. a good party is so great, whatever your idea of a good party is. And, mm. and there's such a fine line between like, you only need like two tweaks to make it a terrible experience. And so to right. have a terrible experience when you could be having a peak experience, there's just a huge chasm between those things. Right. Well, it's, it's sort of like the proving grounds of your social ineptitude. And, <laughs> and if, and, and if you fail, then it's like, well, you were on, you know, you were, you were on the court and you went for a three pointer and you missed it. You airballed it and everyone hates you now because everyone's watching you and you get to like prove all these ideas about like your social graces and you get to prove that they're wrong. You know? So everyone's watching you is a big, is a big part of it for right. you. Right. Well, I mean, just that everyone knows and everyone can talk to me, you know, about it. Like everyone observes. Everyone's watching you attempt to make conversation, despite oh, the fact geez. that they're all in their own conversation. You believe that everyone secretly is out of the corner of their eye watching you fail to strike up a conversation with a, a stranger. Right. Right. And they hate me for it. Yeah. Like, why is this guy here? Don't they, don't they, don't what they know that he sucks shit. for whatever reason? Yeah. Right. <laughs> God, that would suck. <laughs> what do you hope happens when you die? I, I like the idea of everyone sort of waiting by the finish line, you know, where like your, your family is there, you know, like your dead relatives are at the finish line and they're just resting and everyone can just rest. I love that idea, you know, like whether that be heaven or whatever you want to call it. Like, I think that's, that that would be uh the best that would that would be uh ideal but i don't know if i believe in that but if if i got to choose it just you ever listen to uh the tree of forgiveness by john prine no oh like he has this it was the last record he did before he died okay. and he just talks about like you know when he gets to heaven he's just gonna do the same thing, but smoke a lot more cigarettes and, uh, you know, drink. And he's just going to play music and hang out with his friends. And like, that sounds nice, you know, like, yeah. And I, yeah. In heaven, like if there's an afterlife, I want to smoke cigarettes. Like, <laughs> like I can't, I can't smoke cigarettes. I'm in my forties, you know, and I can't drink. Uh, it'd be great if I could smoke cigarettes again or vape. Did you go, <laughs> Through a cigarette phase? Oh, yeah. Most of my life. Like, I smoked okay. cigarettes from when I was, like, 14 to 26 or 27. That's and, not most of your life, dude. And then on and off every day since then. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, there'll be, like, years where I don't have a cigarette, and then there'll be, like, two years where I have, like, one cigarette every week. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, I'm just... I'm not I'm not completely on either bandwagon. I'm not on the wagon or off the wagon. I'm just sort of That's impressive, dude. One cigarette a week. I'm like as a as an addict, I'm like what do you get out of that, dude? It seems right. like it seems like a horrible limbo state. Yeah. I don't know. 
<laughs> I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's impulse, right? It's like, oh, that guy's smoking. Yeah. Maybe you'll give me a cigarette and they'll have one. Like, that was great. And then the next two days, I'm like, oh, I feel like shit. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I don't, I would see that and be like, okay, well, we're back on six. Let's go get a pack. Yeah. Well, a lot of the time, well, like, the way it has been going, I mean, not so much recently because I've really made an effort to care about my health uh, <laughs> for whatever reason. And, and, uh, I've been going, when I go on the road and I go on tour, you know, I just like buy a pack of cigarettes at the beginning. And then afterwards I'd Mm -hmm. stop and then be really grumpy for like a week. And then while I, while I quit, um, you know, I, I live with my, my long-term girlfriend and, uh, she gives me shit if I smell like cigarettes. So that's a big deterrent. Right. I mean, she should, I, there's no good reason to smoke, but I mean, it's a deterrent for me. So if she's not around and I'm on tour, that's me getting crazy is having some cigarettes. Yeah. 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 Did you quit smoking or drinking first? Um, I mean like, I, okay. I, I still smoke cigarettes every once in a while. Like it's been a while, but like I quit drinking years ago and I have, like that's not anything I'm tempted to do. That's like I'm not uh the hangovers got so bad and plus my anxiety medication, I can't drink on it. Mm. So and, and like I was obviously using alcohol as something to mask my anxiety. So now that I don't need it, I I don't crave it at all. Is your anxiety directed at something other is it primarily social anxiety or is it directed in other, at other targets as well? Um, there's a lot of social anxiety involved. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think, I think that is probably the major part of it, but when it's coupled with OCD, no matter what I'm anxious about, I obsess over and it becomes my whole being, right? Like if I think someone doesn't like me, then I become physically ill or I, that's how it was back in the, back in the day, yeah. you know, because it just keeps like on repeat in my head over and over again. For me, a big source of anxiety is wrapped up in this question and it's to do with the cessation of consciousness. Mm. And so does that bother you? The idea of like, lights going out of you of you of there not being a you anymore right do you not do you have any panic around that not a lot uh really it, it almost feels like a repeat reprieve right <laughs> sure, you just sure. turn off the lights let's cl- show the sh- let's shut this shit down you know <laughs> it's like a restaurant that the food hasn't been good for years <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> i mean like there's a there's a great uh, I mean, great's the wrong word, but there's a long history of uh, uh, punching your own ticket in my family. And mm. I, you know, and I understand. <laughs> I get it. Uh, sure. I don't think I'm in any, uh, I'm in any danger of that. I don't think that's something that I have to worry about really because I'm the first one in my family to get mental health uh, counseling and, you know, all that, going to therapy and getting medicated and stuff like that. You know, uh I think I'm more afraid of detaching from reality, you know, of like, I'm, I'm, I'm more terrified of a Parkinson's or dementia, uh, like that sort of, that scares me a lot. Um, 
you know, like the, the question of death sort of begs the question of, you know, if there is an afterlife, if there is suffering or, you know, or lack of suffering after death. And if, uh, you know, I don't that I mean religion spirituality I don't know but I really think that yeah it's just it's like falling asleep you know and you don't never wake up there's just nothing and if that's the case you know I, I read this great book uh called midlife it is a philosophical guide a philosophical guide to midlife crisis you know where we we are afraid of death because it is non-existence but we have already experienced non-existence before mm-hmm. before birth so if it feels the same way as existing before birth then there's nothing to be afraid of i know that argument man but it doesn't fucking hold water for me it's like i, I, get well, you. I feel it right now dude like whether <laughs> you know <laughs> the next big tentpole question I've got is more of a prompt Mm. and it's based on uh, the previous one man show that I did that's set in the afterlife. And Mm -hmm. in this show, I claim that in the afterlife, you get to fully relive one memory Mm. and it's not that the others are wiped. It's just that one is especially vivid and you get to visit it whenever you want, but you have to choose one. And if that were the case, what memory do you choose? Wow. That's a hard one. That's a thank you. That's a hell of a question. Thank you so much. Uh, man. I mean, I mean, cause I, that speaks to your values. I mean, what do you value? What, what are you chasing? What dragon you chasing? I mean, maybe, um, or it could be the first thing that comes to mind. Right. I mean, my, the first thing that comes to mind, I'm sure this is, uh, a common answer is like a childhood Christmas, you know, where it's, it's warm fam, everyone's alive and around and you see all like the people you're closest to and everyone's in good moods and, you know, there's good food and there's a fire in the fireplace and there's not, and there's not no expectations about getting anything done. We can just sort of exist. Uh, that's my first thought. Another thought would be like a, a new year's Eve party in uh, my twenties you know, where everyone is getting along and, you know, having a good time and singing music and singing music, singing songs and, you know, (laughs) just, just, you know, all all good vibes. Uh, Yeah. So that's so wild that you would choose to live in a party. Yeah. But I know everyone at that party. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. No, of course. But it's, it speaks to the, the, the risk reward of the parties. Right. Right. And that's why there's, yeah, it's, high tension uh, but i yeah i i think it, it sort of this serves the same thing as sort of a, a belonging amongst a group of people um yeah yeah a warmth it's right like. and i think you're like physical warmth yeah yeah and I, I think your 20s are a real uh i mean because they are sort of plastered with alcohol uh like where you feel most connected to your friends and the older you get, the more disconnected you become. Uh, at least that's how I feel. And I think it may be universal. It may not be universal. Uh, but 
yeah, it's sort of like because I was involved in like music and with all those you know friends and music, and it, mm. it really like at, at that point, it really feels like that's where you're supposed to be. Just like at some point, you know, I'm sure uh, other endeavors in your life make you feel like that. I'm sure, yeah, comedy probably has at some point too, but uh, I think music. Some, I mean the the music though. I mean, unless you're just in an all singer songwriter scene, it's like. There's, at the very least, little mini communities built mm-hmm. in, you know. It, were you doing, what, what? so you're doing music before comedy? Mm-hmm. When did you start comedy? Uh, 27 years old. Okay, okay. What, what did you play in bands? I played bass in a couple of bands, but not well. It was, they're like thrash punk bands, so it yeah. was like, you know talent wasn't really needed it was just yeah. you need to have the gear uh gear, and then I, enthusiasm exactly yeah uh and then i was uh like a singer in a couple of hardcore bands like in my 20s and you didn't need anything there <laughs> just gotta <laughs> what be loud. Were, what were those party like how would you compare uh thrash punk slash hardcore parties to comedian parties um, similar. I mean, I always found like, like music musicians and those types very sort of similar with comedians because I think they're sort of doing the same thing. You know, How's they're that? sort of, they're, they're sort of chasing this, like this artistic endeavor of something that they want to create. And then there's these larger, these larger goals and these, like these ideals and, uh, and everyone's a little left of center, or at least they like to think they are. Mm-hmm. And well, depending on the punk, punk scene, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Well, I mean, where, where I was at the yeah. at the time, and it's just a collection of fucking weirdos, in one way or another. Uh, it's a collection of you know people that think they're doing something cool, something important, and you know maybe they are, but. It's people that are doing it for themselves. It's not for any expectation of uh, no one. No one's family is expecting them to get into a punk band or be a comedian. So it's sort of people are living what they kind want of to do. Expecting not. Yeah, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. No one's ever got kicked out of their house for not doing open mics. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last big question is. What's your coma? And you're familiar with the month I was in a coma. I do. I was in Chicago. I remember it. Okay. So the question is not, is only to immediately veer to the left and talk about a moment of transformation. Mm Because that for me is is just like, you know, if you're like, oh yeah, I I did this thing and everyone eulogized me and uh, nothing much changed. Everyone would kind of look at you and be like, nothing changed you just you didn't take the opportunity to do anything different and so for you it's just any moment big or small could be totally minuscule where before you look back and be like oh that is one version of me and after is another oh sure like a fulcrum sure yeah absolutely yeah but um, I, I got to kind of stick with the coma thing because yeah. you know, branding, you know. <laughs> I, I, get, I get you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, hmm. 
I mean, the the big the big changes in my life. I mean, there's. I don't I don't know if I've ever been on the singular path consistently, besides for stand up comedy. Um, but you know, in terms of how I live my life, uh, I, I two come to mind. One is a little bit more obvious. You know, when my sort of throws you for a loop whenever a parent dies. You know, and I mean to put it mildly. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I'm real thrown for a that loop is what here. They say yeah, everyone gets thrown for a little bit of a loop, <laughs> right? Right, and you know you sort of reevaluate your goals and how you want to live your life, and you know where you are in terms of your own timeline, uh, hurling towards death, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you know, and and that that's when I sort of resolve to not, you know, to to live my life in a way that makes me happy consistently, or at least the attempt of. Uh, happiness not have any expectations and not let anyone else's expectations um form how my life goes uh, and this is when your mom died yeah i mean it, it surely started beforehand but then it was just like you know like i mean i moved back to omaha and it's like i can be happy here i can be happy here because i you know like the things that i value are not the things other people value and i can have these uh these values closer to myself. I mean, I'm not, when I say other people don't value it, I mean, maybe that's probably bullshit. Uh, what I'm saying is like, you know, like I don't need a lot. Uh, I can be happy with, yeah. with a simple life and I'm, you know, and I am happy. And another one is took place at a Burger King where I was during the pandemic. I was ordering, um, I was ordering from Burger King and I had a panic attack and I couldn't, I couldn't even talk to the person at Burger King. And that was the time when I made the resolution that I need to get help. And, uh, I have to, I can't, I can't live my life like this anymore. I, I have, cause I, I couldn't speak to people. This is during the pandemic. Like I spoke to like, you know, three people a month and like the third one was the one was a Burger King employee. And I couldn't even handle that, so I really had to take care of myself and my mental health. And and uh, at the age of forty, forty one, I I sort of have a new. I had a new like lease on life because I'm able to interact with folks and be a whole human being for the most part. Um, because when I was in Chicago initially, I mean, I don't like I don't know what the exterior views of me were but i know my internal view of myself as someone who is extremely shy or extremely drunk uh and that there was much of a middle ground so i mean to sort of leave that behind and leave that uh the need for alcohol behind and um sort of exists as a, a actual real human being is um you know feels good <laughs> yeah. Well, now I'm curious. When did the did the panic attack set in after you placed your order, or like the minute you, or were, were you in the drive through? Like, I'm actually kind of curious about the logistics of the Burger King moment. Sure, it was uh, it was during my order because uh, with with my anxiety disorder, my panic disorder, and my OCD is what I would have intrusive thoughts of of hurting people's feelings. Mm. Right. I mean, I, I know in terms of intrusive thoughts, that's very sure. low stakes. Sure. Yeah. I like, I was like 
you know, I was, my mind was racing about like how I could hurt this person's feelings. And like, and then I, if I thought of it, then I could be like, and then I would just, the rest of my, my brain power would be like, well, don't do it. And then my other, and then there's a little part of your brain is like, well, you're going to do it. And then, and it's like, and then the whole part's like, oh, stop. And your whole brain, like your whole like right. uh, mental function and strength is like trapped in this argument about if you're going to hurt the person's feelings that you're speaking to and like, and that became every social interaction or just interaction with everyone I had at that time. So, so did you get your order? I got my order. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was fine. I mean, like, but, the, but the thing like, it, like I was able to complete the order. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, if, <laughs> like, if given the opportunity, I will get a Whopper at Burger King. Uh, but I mean, but it was just so indicative of the everyday of yeah, my yeah. life and uh, i just remember that that day being different because i was like i am fucking done with this shit i mean these this low stakes like these low stake panic attacks where the burger king employee may think i'm an asshole like mm-hmm. this is nothing to like seriously feel like you're having a heart attack about so are, is, are there any connections between these two moments that you've identified? First of all, you are cheating. So I just want to uh, let you know that. And I, as someone who thinks about social interactions a lot, mm-hmm. I do want to know that you failed this one uh, just slightly. Uh, I'm on medication now. I don't feel much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but But I'm wondering if there's a connection between, you know, because it sounds like layers of choosing – things to make yourself happy right and and do you think you could have come to the burger king conclusion when you did if you were not in omaha if you if you had not moved if you had not like did did the act of simplifying things of of sort of choosing your values as like creativity and and a simplicity of life did that did that make way for the let's take care of the mental health or yeah. or is there a connection? Don't, no, don't I, force I, it. I think you're completely right because uh, I don't know how you feel, but when you are sort of feel like you're floating out in space and doing the things that you're doing, and then hopefully that something happens, there's this sort of disconnection from um, home base of. Uh, sort of, I mean, you, high wire act where you're you're risking because of the reward. And I think when in Omaha and sort of like there is no more risk and I am at a place where I'm taking care of myself because when my mom died, this sort of came all crashing down. And I, you know, essentially, you know, <laughs> I fucking lost my mind. Uh, and like, you know, and I, I sort of ma- bedded down and to heal for a while and i think that may have been the last domino of like we're getting better and we're gonna resolve to get better and then i did you know how is there no more risk for me yeah oh i mean i just when you talked about coming back to omaha right because that actually kind of fucked me up when you said that in a like in a cool way yeah where i'm like because for me, I frame it in terms of like the fame dream. Sure. Where I have, I have very, I've worked very hard because at a certain point you get to a certain age where you're like, well, the people I came up with are fucking running shows 
or on SNL or doing right. whatever. I, I, I have to admit that however vague my ideas of success were before, I have not arrived on a late night couch uh, as of now. You right. know? And so right. like uh, the fear is not wanting to be like sour grapes and be like, oh, I never wanted that. But actually looking back and being like, okay, I'm not lying to myself to say that the things that have given me the most pleasure and joy and led to more collaboration and other things I like doing and that have opened mm. doors for me are when I, you know, the Rick Rubin thing. You focus on the things you like. It, it seems so simple, but it's so fucking hard to put into practice. Right. But you describing, so I think of it as like, okay, uh, kind of like getting over separating myself from the fame dream and just being mm -hmm. in like the now, you know? And th the thing we talked about with Dan Sheehan, where Dan's like a, an influencer in the world of magic, the gathering, you know, being like, that's cool. That's okay. Like right. th th that's not like a failure to become fucking Bo Burnham or something. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So yeah. You describing being out in space and, and I forget how you said it exactly, but you're like, when you're out in space and, and you're, you're risking so much because the reward is so high and you feel disconnected mm -hmm. from home. I mean, and then you talk about coming home, which for you is Omaha and the risk and the risk not being there anymore, but not in a right. bad way. It didn't sound like, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Tell me well, about that. Well, I, I just sort of, you know, I, being out alone from the, you know, the your, your home, from friends and family that have known you most of your life, because I didn't, you know, I didn't go to Chicago until I was in my 30s, you know? Like, I mean, so there's, there's a real, uh, there was a big difference between the person that left and the person that came back, but at the same time, like, I... I have felt disconnected from the person that left for a long time, you know, and because I think when you all, when you do, when you do go on your own and the sort of, uh, you know, doing the work, it's, it's a, in one empowering, you know, because you're like, I can do this and I, I can succeed and I can, mm -hmm. you know, create these things without this, but also, uh, it feels as though you're, like I felt disconnected from the person I once was and I feel coming back and sort of doing these things. Um, I, f I felt reconnected with myself, if that makes sense. Totally. But what is the, you know, you talked about like, un unless not being on comedy central anytime soon mm -hmm. unless something extraordinary happens. sure and that last part is so fucking key because it's how much th there's a thing that has existed in my mind where it's like you hear like john ham was ready to give up acting and then he got the Mad Men audition right, and right. changed everything you know and you're like okay can i game this where i tell the world that I'm giving up, that this is the end of it. Can I make my Nanette and it somehow change it? You know, if I like, so, so the idea of like, unless something wild happens mm -hmm. is like, there have been times when I'm like, but secretly I think something wild is going to happen. Right, the way right. you said it was a very like neutral, like these are the facts. I'm in Omaha. Sure. People aren't scouting comedy shows here. Or if I'm traveling to North Platte, 
They're also not scouting shows there. Yeah, they're definitely not. <laughs> what if? Uh, I mean, it'd be amazing. But well, I, I, I yeah. think I understand the question. Um, and I think it's sort of a two-pronged answer, whereas I have given myself uh, the permission not to put pressure on myself to succeed, but rather enjoy what I do, right? Whereas mm-hmm. it's not about where I end up, it's about what I do and where I'm at right now. And I mean, that is what I tell myself. But at the same time, sometimes I tell myself that being in Omaha is my excuse for not succeeding. Is where I go, I've, I have removed the possibility for succeeding so I don't feel bad for not succeeding. So it's it's sort of this twofold, because I'll, I'll tell that to myself, and I was like, well, fuck, man. So, like, should I go do something else? Should I go somewhere else? Because if I really want to succeed, then I need to put myself in a thing. But then at the same time, it's like, well, if you love what you do, then just do it. And what happens about it is not the important part. And then I'm like, well, but it is pretty fucking important. Right, right. <laughs> King, ping and pong back and forth. Right. But it's like, it's about the definition of success. Yes. And it's like, do you create your own definition of success? It's so hard to dissolve the received definitions of success Mm -hmm. that we have. And yeah, I, I, I mean, my brain's just like firing in all sorts of different directions thinking about this because it's like, I, I think there exists an alternative if you were to just be pursuing this very externally defined, quote, success. Mm-hmm. Like, there would be some version where you're like, oh, is is pursuing that? You're like, assuming that 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 the traditional definition of success will not make you happy, which it... I think won't for most people. Right. Then then to spend your whole life just pursuing that external definition of success means mm. that while you're doing it, you will experience quite a bit of unhappiness. So then right. you say, oh, well, I'm... So then the pursuit of success is becoming an excuse to keep yourself unhappy as opposed to the opposite that you're doing, which right. is like, oh, I'm pursuing happiness and I'm telling myself that's an excuse to not have success. It's like, yeah, I'd rather the latter. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, but also like, even in that, I, I like, you're wrong to myself, you know, <laughs> or like, of course, you're and messing I think it's it up. just a tolerance for a little bit of that. Just to be like, whichever way I go, there's going to be a doubting voice and just, right. You know, how do we maximize the happiness and, and increase the proportion of happiness to doubt? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I miss a lot about doing comedy in a Chicago or a Los Angeles. I mean, I, I, there's a lot that I do the, you know, the challenge of being on lineups with just like phenomenal comedians consistently Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing shows that are, that you feel are too big for you or too, you know, and like those challenges, I miss that a lot. Um, you know, but I teach here and I love that. And I sort of, and I sort of see myself as, you know, sort of an ambassador of doing stand-up comedy at a higher level to like, you know, some, some of Omaha, some of Omaha comedy. And that brings me a lot of joy and that brings me a lot of contentment. Um, you know, although I would be lying if I didn't say I wanted more opportunity. 
Yeah, of so, course, dude. Yeah, I, I mean, and I, I've, I've done, I did like you know, Big Sky Comedy Festival, which is a relatively prestigious one, and is that in Montana? There were, yeah. Okay. And there was like industry there, like agents and all that stuff, and then you know, <laughs> the first question I always get asked is, "Where are you from?" Omaha, and they're like, "Oh, why?" <laughs> You know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, and then like, I'll talk to someone from like, you know, a, stu- a studio of, you know, and I'm, I'm like, well, if they're ever around Omaha or anything. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah I'll let you yeah. know. And they're like, <laughs> like, it's obvious where there's like, I mean, like, it's like, it's not that they didn't like what I do on stage or who I am or anything. It's just like, they're, they know that logistically it's not going to work. So, I mean, that, that affects me in a, a lot of different ways. One is just like the pressure's off. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not. Right. <laughs> I, I, but I, I feel like I have to be okay with what I have. Well, and yeah. And dude, if you're going to go the Neil Young driving into the ditch route, mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense to move back to LA for the hopes of one meeting you had with a big sky person who was fucking a little buzzed and right. like promising things to everyone who they even laughed once at. It's like, right. well, Oh, uh, my, my ideal, I'd like to be the butthole surfers. And someone's like, okay, well I'm, <laughs> I'm looking more for a Miley Cyrus type. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but that's, but again, that's what I'm pursuing because that's who I am and that's where I find value in myself and in what I create, you know, is, is having the, these, ideas of you know i i want my jokes to and i want what i make to be specific to me and uh and i think living in a place that's hostile to art (laughs) is uh uh, it sort of affects that like i want to be outsider art right like the guy that makes like a bicycle out of tubas or some shit in germany Mm -hmm. and that's in like the smithsonian or whatever you're like i want to do something like that but we'll see what happens That is the show. Go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr to become a This Is Your Afterlife patron. Check out Zach's special, A List of Wet Celebrities, when it drops on YouTube on Thursday. Pre-game with the audio version, if that's your thing. Follow him, visit his website, buy his little notebooks that say A List of Wet Celebrities on the front. Thank you for listening. Tell a friend who'd love This Is Your Afterlife about the show. It's not for everybody, but the people who it's for... It's like really for them. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts and you haven't written a little review there, then do that. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. And human beings, they do miracles.